0: Hello, I'm Annette, and thanks for listening to the special episodes I'm creating related to the coronavirus outbreak and the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll release these as soon as I can get them done so that they will appear more often than just my regular weekly podcasts, so keep your eyes open for additional information. I will include them in my regular list of episodes in addition to my regular weekly Sunday release so that you can have the information sooner rather than later. But you can always go back and learn from it, as I think many of the things we discuss will be very relevant. So I hope you learn from these. Sorry we're having to do these, but as long as we're dealing with this, let's work together to learn from each other and create more content that is informative, as well as some of the others that may be a little more entertaining. Thanks, and here's some good information for you, I hope. So how crazy is all this stuff?
1: It's really, really crazy. Um, you know, we've we've talked about how how learning in a mediated environment would change higher education but we always talked about it as in the future tense of oh in 10 20 30 years from now I don't think any of us thought we'd be talking about it um next week that It would happen in two yep. weeks yeah <laughs>
0: Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Uh, This is a bonus episode because Challenging Times called for it. Today we're interviewing Dr. Russell Lowry-Hart, again, who was my very first podcast interview on this (laughs) series, and a dear friend, but he's the head of Amarillo College, president of Amarillo College in Amarillo, Texas, a community college. I'm a regent on that college, and we have had some trying times today today is April the 8th, and we're in the midst of the COVID-19 slash coronavirus pandemic. And in Amarillo, Texas, we've had some cases. We have not yet peaked, but this has necessitated a response by lots of institutions across the world, not just Amarillo College. And I just thought you could get an inside view of what has been happening at Amarillo College and the great team that Russell has and the great leadership that Russell is providing. Russell, thanks for being on my call today.
1: Oh, my privilege.
0: And by the way, we are doing this virtually. I had to go sign some papers yesterday, (laughs) so I managed to get a distant shot of Russell and myself together. So, (laughs) (laughs) But we did it following the appropriate protocols.
1: So, Russell, where are you right now? Well, right now I'm in the Ware Student Commons. It's the only building that we have open to the public for Amarillo College. And I'm sitting in the circle desk, which greets every uh, student and community member who comes in. We have barriers in place where they can bathe in hand sanitizer. I take their temperature and ask them how they're feeling, if they've traveled, if they've come in contact with anyone who has COVID. And then typically we allow them to go of one of two places. They can go downstairs in the underground where we have followed every safety protocol possible with social distancing uh, times 10 so that students have access to technology Uh, And our library on the fourth floor is open and available to students for the same purpose, the access to technology. Go
0: back through time and just kind of describe the timeline of what's happened
1: for you and your team. It's so fascinating. Um, It seems like it was a year ago and it's not even been a month. I mean, every, I think you and I've joked that Every week is the longest year ever, <laughs> and every week seems to get longer. But for us, um, President Trump had a an address to the nation, I think, on Wednesday, the 12th of March, and it was clear that, that his change in tone was going to facilitate a change in tone in my community and that we needed to start preparing for it. And so I had an emergency meeting with what I, I pulled together, our emergency team. I've called them the COVID task force. And that Thursday, we started meeting and planning for what our uh, phases would be and appropriate response to each phase. And, and it's just happened so quickly and so amazingly and so painfully and difficult work. Um, but I'm so impressed with my team and my colleagues and the faculty and staff here who've basically redesigned an entire organization uh, remotely uh, with few tools and fewer resources, just a lot of heart and dedication.
0: So that was the 12th would have been a Thursday, correct? So that Sunday you had, uh, we had an executive committee meeting um, Sunday afternoon. And what I didn't know at the time was I would be walking into the tail end of your task force meeting yeah. on the Sunday at the beginning of spring break. And right. everybody was there. Uh, the only person missing was busily uh, greeting a new grandbaby, and but had representation there and certainly had been involved on the phone all day. And y'all had just finished a multi-hour meeting, and you went around the room and had yeah. your task force talk about their action steps. And I was very impressed at that time. The other night, we had our first uh, in virtual uh board meeting with the regents and your team and public uh, folks attending through uh, a a Google meet, uh, hangout, I believe. And while it was a little bit chaotic, it actually worked just fine. And again, at the beginning of it, during, during our early session, you had your team go around and talk about their responses from their different, uh, team view. Do you do you want to like break down those categories of who you had report out, or just the department?
1: Um. So, what on my t- cat my COVID nineteen task force, I had our cabinet leadership, and then I had everyone who was leading a group of people that we're on the front lines directly impacting or engaging with our students. So we had our student affairs person, we had our our enrollment management person, and with him is our call center director, um, Maria uh, Juarez, who's just done amazing work in getting a call center up and running remotely and taking more phone calls than we've ever taken in the history of that center. Then we had academic affairs and uh, the two associate vice presidents um, who were in charge of the Center for Teaching and Learning, which is really about helping our faculty adapt to this new remote environment and uh, the support services that, like tutoring and everything else that we know we're gonna have to continue Then we had our strategic initiatives uh, representative and the person, Jordan Herrera, over the Advocacy and Resource Center, which is our social services center. Um, We had our VP for HR, who, and also with her, were uh, the chief of our police station, who's in charge of our emergency response, and our IT division, Shane Hepler. It was just a collection of cabinet leadership and their direct reports who are over the most critical frontline services that we offer to our faculty, staff, and students. And in a really short amount of time, we didn't, honestly, we didn't think we were going to end up having as much time as we ended up having in our community before we had to go 100% remote. But we developed a plan, we followed the plan, and we've executed the plan. And so far, I'm really proud of how. It's so worked.
0: that week was actually spring break, which gave us kind of yeah. a buffer. Although it probably messed up quite a few spring break plans, including yours to take a group <laughs> of students to Poland. Thank goodness,
1: y'all stayed That's home. So true. So 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 certainly true. And how uh, fortuitous that the day before we were to leave to go to Poland, Poland closed their borders and told us that we couldn't come up until the the day before we were supposed to leave we were debating about whether this trip should happen or not because there just weren't any cases in poland and we're so fortunate that we didn't go it's
0: been an evolving situation and still is okay so emerald college had the week of spring break then it delayed school another week and we are mostly on eight weeks eight week classes correct So uh, then so that next eight weeks, instead of starting that week right after spring break, started a week later. Uh And we have students who have various levels of access to technology. Uh, We have faculty and staff who have various levels of technical skills. And then they're all dealing with, you know, whatever the fallout in their world is, whether they have children in K-12 that they have to now Deal with at home. Talk about how you've facilitated some of that moving forward.
1: Well, some the the best and worst thing that happened is that we uh, started our phase one of three phases. Our phase one plan was preparing for phase two, and that happened over spring break. That gave us time. Uh, to get our own employees prepared for remote work. And it gave us time to do a remote work test where we could send all of our employees home on the Wednesday of spring break and just figure out what additional supports we need to provide, what technologies didn't work, what worked really well. And that gave us time to really figure out the infrastructure supports that we needed to test before we actually had to do it. The the bad thing is that we had a lot of people in our community that went on spring break and then came back from spring break and brought COVID-19 home with them. And spring break really facilitated the spread of COVID-19 in our community. If you uh, look at the community mapping from our uh, city health department, but because of spring break, it gave us time. the The task force met uh, multiple times each day. We got ready for phase two, and then COVID nineteen appeared in our community on that Wednesday of spring break when we were doing our remote tests. So we tested remote work, and then we just stayed in that mode as we moved into phase two, with the exception of the where student commons. And it was really important for me, A, that in the face of this crisis, the college never closed its doors. Just a a deep-seated gut feeling for me is that we could not close because closing the door meant that even the remote work that we were doing would metaphorically stop and we just can't stop the work that we're doing. But the big issue is that as we move to a tech-supported learning environment, the majority of our students uh, don't have access to the technology or the internet that make that easy and and effective. And so we've had to keep uh, access to the technology available to our students as much as possible. And I see every day why, how much hope I have for remote. Uh, tech-supported learning, and how many equity barriers moving to a tech-supported learning environment is created, and what we've got to do to start to uh, address. So
0: that. in the community, you've done some uh, innovative work uh, outside of the Wear Commons. You want to talk about that?
1: Yes. So there's several things that have happened in this process that have created innovation. One is the innovation of partnerships. And- uh, one of the first things I did on that Thursday, the 13th, as we were migrating to uh, uh, in phase one, preparing for phase two, as I called an emergency meeting with the the superintendents of the two biggest school districts and the panhandle and the president of West Texas A&M. And the four of us with region 16 leadership just sat down and talked about how we were gonna manage this. And as we moved to remote-based learning, We knew that we were going to have to make the internet uh, more widely available than it was, so we've extended Wi-Fi into our parking lots in uh, in uh, especially the parts of the community that have that are least accessible to broadband, and then partnered with our ISD. I'm so proud of AISD. They've taken their buses and. Outfitted them with Wi Fi that reach into neighborhoods and they put the buses in neighborhoods so that their students can access the Wi Fi. That's great. We've been able to have our students access that same Wi Fi. So, between the work with community organizations that offer Wi Fi, our own Wi Fi services, and AISD, we have been able to provide coverage inside the neighborhoods that we think are most at risk. Additionally, we've been Renting laptops out through our bookstore for for thirty five or sixty five dollars for the eight week or semester, so that students can have access to it. Financial aid is able to pay for that, and then financial aid won't pay for it, we have emergency funds that we're paying uh, that rental fee, that so students can take technology home with them and then have Wi Fi in their neighborhoods. Uh, when they need it, not just for them, but for their families.
0: That's great. So some people would just say, well, why didn't you just close up?
1: Well, we couldn't just close up. One, because even before the COVID-19 disaster and the economic collapse that it has created, so many of our students and our community are perilously on the edge of economic collapse anyway because the majority of them are working low pay jobs and oftentimes working two uh, part-time jobs. Um, and school is their best option to get out of that economic cycle. Uh, and they were going to need us. And I couldn't imagine pausing their education and, and causing them to wait when they were already in economic peril. And then what we also know is that the minute a student stops, they're almost likely never to come back. And so those two data points told me that we had to to keep pushing forward. And I'm going to have to pause because I've got students coming in, so I've got to go take sure. some temperature really
0: quick. Yeah, we'll just wait. So as I'm waiting, I see um, Russell's background that he's put in uh, as a virtual background is just the AC blue uh, background with the word "love" in white on it. (laughs) One of our values: um, treat everything with love. So uh, Russell certainly, you know, shows that in everything he does. I'm back, sorry Are you back I'm back okay, do do what you got to do, take care of those students. well, there's another aspect to that too is is the financial aid challenge that uh, our students yeah. face that would that would completely mess up their financial aid and their timelines uh, to to completion and success, so we don't want to do that
1: so can you imagine if if we had Just closed down, and some schools did. I'm not judging how other people have done it because I think every community is different. But you close down, and you've distributed financial aid, and you're not—they're not in class. They're going to have to repay financial aid that they probably have already used to pay for rent, to pay for gas, to pay for childcare, and we just couldn't put our students in in even greater financial peril just because we wanted to be comfortable and shut everything down. Just wasn't going to work.
0: So you've, you mentioned other colleges have just shut down. Um, I know some of them have completely delayed, uh, in-person classes until next year, calendar year, 2021. I certainly hope we don't need to do that. Um, I know you're meeting the needs there. Uh, you mentioned Jordan, and she's on my list, but we were supposed to interview last week, and she said, could we kind of wait because there's kind of a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> so you, instead of having students come in and choose the, the food pantry items that they need or want, uh, you prepackaged some and just had some bags ready. Are you still doing that? Is that still happening?
1: so you know with our advocacy and resource center which includes our our three and a half social workers and all of the emergency aid and all of the case management in addition to our food pantry and clothing closet with with the reality of COVID and the need for social distancing it wasn't as simple as asking students to come in and shop the way they normally did so we have pre-packaged liquids water drinks we prepackaged food and we prepackaged baby supplies and prepackaged things like toilet paper and and house and shampoo and things of that nature so a student can come into a space that we've identified that they can drive up in and we can uh, give them uh, the pre-boxed items and it minimizes their time, it minimizes our time in contact, and it allows us to keep all of our resources safe for them uh, with contaminating them. And 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 it's working. Obviously, we'd all like for our students to be in class where they're probably more comfortable, but we're making the best of it. And it's the foundation of our culture of caring and our no excuses philosophy. we got to do whatever it takes. And right now, our students, still need tutoring, they still need food, they still need emergency aid, they, they still need access to books, and we're providing every access point they might need, be it online, on the phone, uh, or in person uh, on those rare occasions that that's necessary.
0: Do you think all the poverty reduction efforts and just meeting the needs of the students that we know we have, not the ones we wished we had back in the day, help? position Amarillo College to be better able to uh,
1: respond to this? A hundred percent. Knowing our students and what they needed from us, um, we already had a lot of the things in place that students would, were going to require from us. And I'm so proud that those resources were in place. And I'm going to help a student really quickly. Okay. Excuse me. Yes, the tutoring center is open as well. I just need you to submit and hand sanitizer. I'm back. Great.
0: Have you had anybody show up with fever?
1: I have. I've had two people that had fever uh, yesterday. And so I asked them what they needed from us, and uh, in one case, it was they needed a hard drive on the laptop they had rented, needed to be looked at, and and in another case, they needed food. So I just went to the pantry and got food and mailed it to them, and the hard drive, we decontaminated and then got them a new one and, and scheduled time for one of their family members to come back and get it. I've got a another student, so I'll be sure. right back. Okay. How are you doing this morning? we help you today? All right, I'm gonna ask the debate to do thank you. But fundamentally I think what the structures we put in place. We didn't have to create anything new. It was just about maximizing what we had already put in place and trying to prepare it to help even more students. So we anticipate that because of this economic crisis that students are going to need even more emergency aids. We've gotten grants that can facilitate that. Uh, We've got more support from our Emerald College Foundation. and, And now with potential stimulus money, we're going to we already have the infrastructure in place to provide support for our students. And now it's just about helping even more students.
0: Going forward, what do you see as biggest challenges and biggest opportunities?
1: Um, The, the, the biggest opportunities are, are endless. Um, How do we, what do we learn from this experience and experiment? We were told that people weren't ready and that, Um, communities weren't ready and it would take decades to get there. And we fundamentally done something magical in two weeks. So what is it that we can learn from in, uh, reducing our footprint and in space? Like now we have buildings that are fundamentally empty. Do we need all these buildings when things quote, go back to normal and quote, Can we provide these services more robustly than just in person or or how do we leverage the technology lessons we've learned to enhance learning more intentionally? Um, I think we have a lot of opportunities to see when and where students need us because they can access so much of our services online. We may learn that they need their learning and they're logging in at night and and through the night. And maybe that's when we need to be offering classes. I just think we have a lot of opportunities to learn when students need us, what they're actually needing from us online versus in-person and how we can better utilize the space that we have. Maybe even reduce it um, to save money and energy. The challenges are also endless. I think this is driven inequities that we have comes to access to broadband and technology and we talk about how technologically important uh how important technology is to the future yet we've got to acknowledge that for a big part of our community iPhones are the only technology they have and those are requirements like everything else but truly where we are now you can't easily effectively conduct your courses on phones and we have students doing that so how do we broaden the amount of technology that's available in our community and the access to broadband to make that technology more effective those are really big issues the the other challenge is that we're a, in Amarillo we're a service oriented economy and guess what's going to take the biggest hit with this it's service oriented jobs when you're about travel and you're about service and hotels and restaurants because people are driving through your community on I-40 every day, and those jobs are not gonna come back quickly. We have got to figure out how to transition those workers from service-oriented jobs with technology skills that can create new jobs that leverage coding and uh, AI and robotics and things of those natures. And that's gonna be a challenge because they're typically uh, the workers that are the least technologically proficient, and those are workers that we need to transition into technology experts. But I think we can do it. I think we're going to have to do it.
0: So let's say uh, there's a one of those service workers out there listening, and they've just lost their job. Uh, what are the opportunities they have for education through Amarillo College?
1: Well, I would want them to. Uh, first call 806-371-5000 and say I just lost my job and I want to enroll and we're going to help them complete their application online and we're going to help them complete the financial aid application online. There is money available to help our students go to school and live and our career center will help students identify a a part-time job that is friendly to students while they're going to school because I know they're going to need to work. But once you've done that, we've got uh, things like our coding academy that are accelerated, that can take you from not knowing much of technology. And I think uh, a year to 18 months later, you could be an expert in, um, in coding and in cybersecurity uh, in in uh, other areas of technology that will give you more employability than uh, than the service skills might offer you in the future. So it, apply, uh, talk to an advisor remotely, uh, take a career assessment so we can see what, um, what you're naturally inclined for and then how we can align that to the careers that we project are going to be most at, at need uh, over the next five years.
0: Well, Russell, any last thing you'd like to say regarding uh, your AC's response to this or looking down the road?
1: So for me, um, we've created a culture of caring and uh, there are parts of caring that never stop. They just change the way they're executed. And I'll give you an example. We would have greeters waiting on students in the parking lots at the beginning of every eight-week semester. Obviously, in a remote learning environment, they're not walking on our campus to be greeted. So we have employees that are working remotely from home that don't have as much work to do because their work was involved physical space that's no longer accessible. So every employee is calling students. We're talking to every single student every week, checking on them, Um, identifying challenges they have in logging in or technology challenges they didn't know they were going to have. And now they have because they've got seven people in their house that are needing to work from home. Um, The culture of caring is real. It just looks differently in this environment, but it's equally as impressive and as important. And the calling campaigns that we've done, I think may have been the most important Uh, element of our COVID-19 response because it has told our students we're there. It's helped us personalize the work in a technological scenario that is often impersonal and help us solve problems um, uh, immediately. And so I'm really proud of the employees at the college. Every single employee has had a role in, in responding to this crisis, and it's been really powerful and magical to see their love change students' lives, even remotely.
0: Well, Russell, thank you so much uh, in being on my podcast for this response to COVID-19. Thank you for the work you and your amazing team are doing. Uh, I know our faculty are doing everything they can to try to meet the needs uh, of educating our students uh, in a remote uh, way. And I appreciate all that work. And thank you for listening to Annette on Education.